0: Startup Experts is a 1000 plus member organization of finance ops and HR leaders that come together in person and online to build relationships, to learn from one another and to support each other personally and professionally. While no one member is an expert in all things, collectively our combined experience is extraordinary and our passion for learning is unparalleled. This podcast is about amazing people, their perspectives on our ever-changing world and how we adapt to these changes as leaders. My name is Jesse Freeze, and this podcast is about becoming better with startup experts. Nathan Sherinan is a longtime member of the Startup Experts community and has been helping recently to build our new Salt Lake City chapter. I've known Nathan for around five years as both a client and friend while he was the head of people at Freshworks USA. In the following conversation, we had a great discussion about how he got into HR after thinking he'd be a musician, why kindness is so important to him, and the value of saying yes as much as possible in one's career. We also talked about the role of HR in an organization, how a leader should approach building their own HR team, and who in his life has influenced him. I learned a lot from Nathan and hope you do as well. Enjoy. Nathan, it's amazing to see you this morning. How are you
1: today? I'm great. It's it's a joy to be with you, Jesse.
0: Would you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah, my name is Nathan. I'm an HR leader. That's not everything about me, obviously. I've married, I'm married to a wonderful partner. We have four kids together. I'm also a musician, so I grew up in a musical family. My dad was a violinist in the Utah Symphony for 43 years, and I figured I'd be a musician too. So the fact that I'm on a podcast talking about HR... Kind of blows my mind. If you would have talked to me about twenty-five or thirty years ago, I wouldn't even have known what that was.
0: That's amazing, and you know, so much to cover here. I did a little bit of research into your background, and of course, I've known you for you know five plus years. Uh, one thing I wanted to get right into, which I found really fascinating, um, was at one point you said at twelve years old you wanted to be a doctor. At eighteen, you wanted to be a musician. So you just alluded to that. At twenty-one, a diplomat in the foreign service. And then at, finally at twenty sixth, you want to be a HR leader. Tell us more about that journey.
1: Yeah. You know, I didn't dwell on the doctor thing very long, but I had to do when I broke my wrist. <laughs> yeah. I was you know, pretty fascinated by healthcare and, you know, an orthopedic surgeon and all of that. So I thought that was pretty cool. And then I realized I don't really like blood that much. So that I, I got cured of that pretty quickly. But as I mentioned, I grew up in a musical household. Everybody in my family is involved in music in one way or another. And, you know, seeing my dad have a successful music career, I pretty much figured that was going to be the playbook that I would follow. So I ended up, you know, in college studying music as my degree. I was a music major. As it turns out, I took a couple year hiatus from formal schooling to do a two year stint doing volunteer work for my church in Hong Kong. And I'd never been out of the country before, except for a vacation to Cancun, right? It's not like I was well-traveled or anything, but going to Hong Kong really changed my life. International city, people from all over the world. And I was immersed in learning Cantonese, getting to know people from all around the world. And I started to get really interested with the interplay of, you know, cultures and people and business. I didn't really know what that was because I grew up in a music environment. So when I came back after my two-year stint in Hong Kong and I got back into school, I began trying to piece all of this together. What do I, What did I really like? What did I really enjoy in my experience in Hong Kong? So I ended up with, a you know, focusing on my bachelor's degree on international relations, you know, economics, political science, some behavior, you know, human behavior. And that was, I kind of was thinking about, I might be a diplomat, you know, going to the foreign service or something like that. But the thing that really kind of got me over the hump, I guess, to HR is as I was in school, I had an opportunity to get my very first full-time job. So I worked full-time and finished my uh, degree part-time and I was a Call center agent at the time. I, <laughs> I was answering phone calls, and a mentor of mine said, Hey, I think you'd be great as a supervisor. And so she put my name forward to be promoted. And so, like r- early on, I got an opportunity to lead a team, you know, right during college. And it was a multilingual team. I had team members who spoke Spanish and Japanese and French and all of that. So it was kind of global still, but it was in a call center environment. And that's where I really learned the nuts and bolts of how do you lead a team? How do you inspire people to do great work when every second is monitored? Like they go to the bathroom, you know, if they're at the bathroom, you know, if their break's too long, like everything is tracked to the second. And so that was kind of like a crucible of leadership for me. And at that same point, I started looking at the call center as a whole. And I kept scratching my head being like, there's got to be better way to do this, you know, like to lead a whole team, a whole organization. And so I started kind of thinking about things at a macro level. And I'd never really figured that high-performing cultures, high-performing teams were HR issues. I thought that was more like operations or consultant work or something, but I was always thinking about what could I do to make this better? And little did I know a lot of that was squarely into HR. And so at that Juncture time, I talked to a mentor and I was kind of thinking about doing grad school. And he's like, You really should consider HR. And I told him these things that I was interested in. And I was like, HR? No, like, I don't want people to contact me with complaints or, you know, no offense, Jesse, but I wasn't interested in benefits. You know, like, that wasn't my thing. Right. And he's like, No, there's a lot more to it than that. And As I began to explore a little bit more, I really understood that HR can be really strategic. And so that's what ended up helping me pivot. I applied to a number of grad schools, got into Cornell, and that's when I officially pivoted into HR. And then, I guess, so to speak, the rest is history. It was kind of a little twist and turn early on in my career to figure out what I really wanted to do.
0: Yeah, that's that's great. Uh, I missed a few details, though. I wanted to go back on what is your instrument... Oh. Uh, and do you still play? And do you have a favorite song or musical style?
1: Oh, that's a great question. So if, if, if you're on video, you can see it behind me. A trumpet is my instrument. Okay. It's back behind my left shoulder. And yes, I still do play. In fact, one of my friends from college, she's a professional musician now in the community. And I reached out to her about three months ago, and I wanted to get back into it. And I asked her if she'd you know, start teaching me lessons again, and it was great. So I actually had a lesson last night. So I had uh, trumpet lessons last night, and at the beginning of the year in January, I'll be joining a local performing group to to play you know, more regularly. So I'm excited for that. My favorite song, it's hard to pin me down on my favorite song, but I definitely have my favorite music style. It's jazz. And in fact, I have my very favorite venue to listen to jazz. It's a jazz club in Greenwich Village in New York. It's called Smalls. It's this little dive bar. It's so small. You're like right packed in there. No better place to watch a live show. It's awesome.
0: <laughs> That's cool. It reminds me, we should probably put together a startup experts band here. I think there's a woman <laughs> that is in Denver that plays a French horn. So we could pair the oh, two cool. of you up as the start. <laughs> so walk me through you know, kind of the, your earlier portions of your career, you know, it, it seemed to me that you were working for GE for a number of years, a number of years being, you know, 10 or more, it looked like. Can you walk us through that a little bit?
1: Yeah. So I got connected with GE through my graduate studies at Cornell, and this was kind of roundabout how it happened. So this is in the height of the great recession when I got accepted to Cornell for graduate school. And I had planned on just joining in late August, like everyone does. And in late March, early April of that year, I got a call from the career services director that said, we don't really do this, but GE has a last minute internship spot available for incoming students. Would you be interested? And my wife was five or six months pregnant at the time. And at first I was like, "Ah, I don't know, does it make sense to try to make two moves? Anyway, we talked, my wife encouraged me to do it. And I applied. And six weeks later, we were in Louisville, Kentucky, working for GE at very first time. I'd never actually done HR before. And to GE's credit, they put me in feet first. I was covering for someone who was out on maternity leave. So she left on a Friday. I showed up on the following Monday. I worked all summer. I left on a Friday and the maternity leave ended and she came back Monday. So it was like a perfect slot and I never had any formal HR training or experience before, but that was a perfect exposure for me to be like, this is what it's really like. I think I can see myself doing this. And to GE's credit, they gave me a a ton of opportunity to just learn on the job and discover that I really like doing it.
0: Yeah, one of the reasons I asked that question is, you know, the traditional route in the startup world is you work for a startup and they have one headquarter or maybe a couple affiliated offices. Certainly now with a more distributed world, you know, people leaders can be in different geographies supporting one company. But I saw that your career track at GE. You mentioned Kentucky, but also Milwaukee, Africa, Wisconsin, my home state of Maine. You did a fair amount of traveling.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that was a little bit like the military back then. So I was part of a formal leadership development program in my early years at GE. And the idea was that you would be placed for a short period of time, let's call it eight to 10 months, with a very specific mandate and basically a mission to deliver something of value in a short period of time. And you do, do that, you rinse and repeat three or four times over your whole experience. So the whole idea behind it was to accelerate your growth. So even though the leadership experience was, you know, two or three years, what the story was, and I actually believe it is, it's more like five to seven years of experience sort of packed in because, at least for me, the biggest learning was how do you drop into a new context? How do you learn the business? How do you deliver value really quickly? And early in your career, I mean, getting those reps really matters. And that made a big difference for me. And it's continued to pay dividends for me as I've gone on into more senior roles because I'm comfortable in the new context, asking the right questions, building relationships and seeing opportunities to create value. And I credit a lot of my ability to do that. With the fact that I was dropped in multiple times, and you just get used to that uh, experience.
0: Yeah, no, that's fascinating. I actually can see a parallel between that experience and what a number of individuals in my professional network do when they're supporting different clients through a professional employer organization. You know, they're being mm-hmm. inserted into different companies in different, you know, catastrophes, solving for <laughs> it, and then moving to the next client the next day. And I often tell those individuals, you know, it's a mini MBA, you know, over yeah. a couple of years time, you're getting 10 years of experience. And clearly in your case, towards the end of your experience in Maine, it looked like you became an adjunct professor. So you went from having no <laughs> experience to being, at least being hired to tell other people about your experience. Tell us about
1: it. Yeah, it was really an honor and just a cool experience. For those of you who don't know much about the state of Maine, I lived in Bangor, which is, you know, about two or three hours up the coast of Maine from Portland, and it's a rural environment, right? It's a university of Maine is in a town called Orono college town. And I got connected to the dean of the business school through a tour that I gave through the factory that I was working in. It turned out that he was an HR guru. And he and I connected and we just kind of stayed in touch. And he reached out to me one day and he said, Hey, I'm kind of double duty as the Dean and also doing HR. I can't do it anymore. Would you be willing to teach the HR 101, whatever number it was, but essentially introductory to HR class to the university of Maine, um, students. And I was thrilled. Oh, what a cool experience. It was a class of about 40 or so students. I did two semesters. So eighty on on total, and most of these students were first generation college students. They had you know no real concept many of them of what a professional organization would operate like and I was able to give you know some of my experience through my time at g e and other experiences to shed a light on it and I had an absolute blast. It was really cool, so I'd love to pick it up another time too
0: <laughs> that's great uh and then you know, I met you, Nathan, about five years ago when you were at Freshworks in, in a really big role at a time when that company was growing a lot in the United States. Share with us a little bit about that experience.
1: Yeah, just a little bit of context. Freshworks is a company that started in India. Uh, so, you know, amazing, innovative company that started in India. And when they hired me, the idea was we needed to build out our presence in the U.S., So I was essentially HR hire number one in the U.S. At the same time, they were going to relocate or hire the entire C-suite to be in the U.S. as well. So it had been an India-based company. The idea was to rotate to the U.S., take advantage of the market here, as well as prepare to uh, become a publicly traded company. So the whole C-suite, with the exception of my boss, the head of HR, ended up in the US. And so I had this unique opportunity to be kind of like mini chief people officer uh, just by virtue of exposure and proximity. And it was, you know, hair on fire growth. We grew from just talking about the HR team as a whole. You know, I was basically HR hire number one. By the time that I left after three years, we had 25 people on the HR team in the US. And Kind of tracking that the business grew equally as aggressively in the United States as well. The cool part that I was really grateful for is not only to be a part of the hyper growth, which is always fun and exciting, but I was able to be heavily involved in helping prepare the company to become a publicly traded company. I was able to you know write the people and culture section on the s one and help create the analyst and investor decks for the road shows and all of that and so those are really cool experiences that I was really grateful for that, you know, had the geography played a little bit differently, I may not have had, but because the geography played the way it did, I got all these great experiences that I'm so grateful for. So that was, you know, rocket ship growth mode and to be able to build something really from scratch that had never uh, existed before. And that was, that was really fun.
0: Yeah. And, I, and there's a lot, of, a lot of folks I know, a lot of members in Startup Experts that embark on that journey. Are there any learnings or takeaways that you'd share back to the group uh, as you were exiting Freshworks? You said, you know, you'd say, oh, I wish I'd known this then.
1: Yeah. I think one of my biggest learnings is sometimes I can take certain things for granted. In other words, before I joined uh, Freshworks, I was at Cisco and before Cisco, I was at GE. Big, large, you know, global companies. And so I was in this new startup environment and there were certain things that pretty much assumed people understood about the role of HR. And, you know, a lot of my assumptions were, well, of course, HR is a strategic function, right? Of course, we can add value on the business strategy and and be involved in those discussions. But what I learned is that a lot of leaders, business leaders who are in a startup environment, they may never have worked with HR in that way before. And so there's an element of education, I would call it patient education, that is required for an HR leader in that startup environment to insert yourself where you may not have been naturally invited. And I've, I I realize that can feel a little bit awkward for some people and also might feel a little bit weird for the business leaders if they've never seen HR show up in that way before. Like, why as an HR leader do you want to come to a product review meeting? Or what does it matter what our customers are saying? And my response back to all of that is, this is our business. In order for us to deliver what we need to for our business, we need people to do that. And my job is to help our people, right? And so it's not a huge stretch to to make that leap. But what I found is that dynamic of what a real strategic HR uh, professional can play is just not well known. And so I think the patience is really required and you may not be able to solve all of your problems right from day one. But if you're able to, you know, make some baby steps and, you know, build some influence and credibility, then I find that leaders are a little bit more willing to kind of bring you in. You got to get the basics right. Like they'll probably look at you for hiring and firing and keeping the company out of trouble and all of that. So you got to do that. But that's not sufficient, right? I don't think that's sufficient for being a, a great company. But a lot of leaders, that's where they're comfortable. And so you kind of have to keep working it. And sometimes it can be frustrating. Sometimes uh, it can be challenging. But I think, you know, the more that you can deliver, the more trust and credibility you get, the, the greater trust and allowance you'll have to do some other really cool things.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And when you arrived as, that first mini cpo as you put it in in the united states and and you were building a team around you to help scale on the corporate goals walk us through how you put together the team you know there's a lot of challenges with building a effective people leader team and organization and we'd love to get your perspective on that process
1: well I think for me, the biggest thing was a healthy dose of introspection and reality of the things that I'm good at and the things that I'm not good at, or maybe a different way of saying the things that energize me and the things that do not energize me. When you're in a large company like Cisco or GE, you work in a very narrow slice of the business. Um, It's narrow and deep when you're at a startup, it's very, very broad. And maybe you only skim the surface on a lot of things, right? You're kind of bouncing here and there. And so for me, what the key to success was to find people that complemented the skills that I had in an opposite way. In other words, I didn't want people to come in who had the exact same skills that I do. And for me, One of the things that I'm not great at, I will be perfectly honest, is like HRIS. I haven't spent a lot of time building systems and things like that. I think kind of more on the strategy and culture and people side. So I needed to have process experts with me who could help me deliver that for the business. And I think there's a temptation as a leader to say, well, I got to know it all. Like I got to know it all. And maybe if you're employee number one, you do for a certain period of time, but it's okay to realize that you've got certain areas of strength that can be augmented by other people's area of strength. And for me, that was sort of the biggest unlock for me as I was able to hire great people around me that really enjoyed and did great work on the stuff that I actually wasn't very good at. And so That's a little bit uncomfortable sometimes as a leader to make the admission that you may not be good in this area. And you hire someone and you're it's kind of like that Steve Jobs quote, you know, like we don't hire smart people and tell them what to do. Like we hire them because they're smart. They should tell us what to do. It's kind of like the same thing that I experienced, which is you're the expert. I'll provide you guidance of kind of where we think we need to go. But ultimately, it's up to you to fill in the gaps. And that's the kind of culture that I've always created on my team is I try to find people who've got vastly different skills than I do, paint a clear picture of what we need to do, and then let them fly. The, the reality is in a startup environment, you can't micromanage, right? Like you can't be everywhere all at once. And so you gotta you gotta set the strategy and, and trust that people will step up and and deliver. And luckily so far, My experience has been that people really shine when they're given that opportunity.
0: Yeah, that's great insight. I think your analysis of what expertise is needed at a startup versus a larger company is spot on. I've seen numerous instances where I've been supporting an earlier stage company and the management team has hired a very tenured, very senior, very experienced HR leader from a much, much larger company with the impression that they would be able to adapt to the scrappiness of a startup. They, they may have really deep expertise in a few lanes, but they're not able to really move between the nuances of being knowledgeable in a lot of little things at once. It's always been interesting to see those challenges because you look at somebody that has 10, 15, 20 years of robust people leader experience. And then they'll come into a small 50, 100, 150 employee company and really are challenged, really struggle with that type of dynamic.
1: I, I think it is hard. And I would love to say that it was easy for me. <laughs> you know, it was really challenging because I was spoiled at some of my other companies, right? Like I could click a button at my other jobs and get basically any information that I wanted. When I started at Freshworks, if I wanted to get a simple headcount report, I had to basically download a company directory in Excel and then manually filter out who I wanted, right? That was kind of the level of sophistication that we were dealing with, which is fine. I mean, most companies go through this, so this is not an indictment on Freshworks, but that was just where we were from a technology and a maturity standpoint. And I can totally see how you know, someone, it's a simple example, but could someone could come into that context and just wring their hands and say, wow, like we can't get anything done. It's really just about the mindset of like, all right, this is where we are. Try to make some baby steps and things ultimately got better. Luckily we didn't have to download the company directory much longer after that, but that was the way. And, you know, you get spoiled at these big companies with all sorts of resources when you're by yourself, that's it right? You don't have the benefit of a phone a friend, really, you got to kind of figure it out on your own, which, you know, as a plug to startup experts, it fills a really important niche in this area. Because if you're on your own, you can be really stuck. But luckily, with a community of startup experts, you have friends who are just a, a couple clicks or a phone call away, who've been there. So you really don't have to fly solo, which you know, what you've built, Jesse is incredible in that way.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit where you live and, you know, the Silicon Slopes area. I I was lucky enough to visit a couple months ago and got to see you at dinner and met a lot of your HR leader peers and was fascinated. Salt Lake City is becoming a pretty dynamic city. I I definitely want to visit again. (laughs) You grew up there, you did your undergrad there, and now you live there with your family. Tell us more about your experience Uh, uh, related to Salt Lake City and the startup scene?
1: Well, there's this common sort of meme that goes around Utah is to say like Utah's terrible, right? Because, you know, so many people are moving here and discovering it, you know, like Utah's terrible. Don't come here. And the reality is Utah's amazing. Like it's gorgeous. I live so close to the canyons and the mountains. Just the outdoor lifestyle is amazing here. I love it. My family loves it. And it's one of the big reasons why we ended up coming back. So the culture is great. It's outdoors, you know, very focused that way. But there is something about you mentioned silicon slopes. Utah's been a mover and a shaker in tech for a long time. Word perfect, way back in the day. That was based here, right? Is that like. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So like Ancestry.com, like it's 20 years old, right? That was based in Utah. There's been a a lot of tech companies that got their start here in Utah, but I would say probably about maybe 12 years ago is when things really started to like take a turn and Adobe decided to plant a big office right off the freeway and planted it right here. And I'll never forget when they were building it, there was a It was a play on words, but you know, when Brigham Young led the early Mormon pioneers into the valley in Salt Lake City, legend has it that he said, this is the place. As Adobe was building their office, they had a billboard with their logo on it that said the same thing. And it was a little bit like prophetic because now you fast forward 15 years after the fact and The amount of tech companies that are in that area is incredible. So many innovative companies doing really cool things. And I'm lucky that they're all in my backyard. So I I feel really fortunate to be here. There's something unique about the startup environment in Utah that I think is hard hard to put really my uh, words around it. But when you experience it, you can feel it. There's just something in the air, I guess. I don't know what it is, but it's it's pretty cool, and I'm honored to be part of the Silicon Slopes community. Thank you for
0: sharing that. Um, you know, you said, and I read this online. I hope that part of my personal legacy is kindness. Kindness is the currency of relationships. Yet, the more you dispense it, the more it grows. Tell us why kindness is so important to you.
1: Well, it's something that I. I, I take very personally. I have experiences working with leaders who were not kind. I think maybe some of us have all, all worked with leaders like that. Uh, I won't call out anyone in particular, but I worked for a specific leader when anytime I ever was interacting with this person, I got a pit in my stomach. Right. And I knew what that did for me. And it, it made me, retract and retreat within myself when I felt like I was being attacked at everything I was trying to do I couldn't be my best and for me when I am at my best it starts with kindness when people are giving me kindness and I think some people will perhaps mistake what I might mean by kindness by just being like nice all the time And you talked about kind of my music experience, and I think this has informed how I actually lead as a leader. Um, Kindness is not conflict avoidance. It's being able to give real insight, real feedback in a constructive way. And I learned how to do that as a musician. When I take lessons every week, my trumpet teacher, she'll point out things that I'm not doing right. And I am i don't get offended by it. Like I'm paying her money to tell me how I can get better. And that's a little bit how I think people need to think about, you know, being able to show up kindly at work, which is, I think we all have insights and feedback and help that we can offer to one another, but we don't have to do it in a mean or a demeaning way. It's about uplifting. And for me, that's the key Um, and that's the key for me. And luckily, you know, I think I'm a kind leader. I think people can trust that when I'm giving maybe even hard feedback, that they know that it's from a place of wanting to help them grow and be the best that they can be. And I think sometimes leaders fall in this trap of giving hard feedback as a way to validate themselves. And I don't think that's necessarily productive. I think the best way to do it is to give feedback with the intent of really making someone better. And if you can express that real genuine concern and care for someone, they'll want to listen to you. And, you know, if we can all show up with kindness and help one another be the best that we can be, not in a judgmental or a harsh way, but in a way that really, gives people the opportunity to grow and experiment and try new things and be supportive. Who doesn't want to operate in an environment like that? So it, it's something that I, I I feel passionately about. And, you know, I'm still working on it. Ask my kids on any one day of whether I'm kind. I, you might get a, a various response, but that's my North Star.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. I love that. And it's such a great perspective. I would assume that your style, how you operate as a leader today is a reflection of individuals that you'd worked with previously. We all learn from individuals that we respect, that we work real closely with. Um, I noticed that you you know, recognized some of the women leaders that you have worked with for International Women's Day. Are there any in particular that you'd like to recognize and share something that you may have learned from them that improved how you operate today?
1: Yeah, I'll go back to the very first person I mentioned, right? When I was a agent in a call center, her name was Claudia. She was my supervisor. And she was not what you would consider to be a corporate person. She had a salon out of her house, right? She was just like a folksy really good, kind person, but she ended up working in a a call center environment, and she was the epitome of kindness. Uh, I'll just give you one example. There was more than one occasion where there would be an upset customer, and she'd get on the phone and try to diffuse the situation. And technically, the company had done nothing wrong, but the customer was still upset. She would be the type of person that would say, you know, verify your address and ship her a replacement product out of her own money, right? Like just because she felt like that was the right thing to do. And she treated her team in the exact same way, just real kindness and caring about the person. And she did that for me. And she was the person that put my name forward for a promotion. I don't know if ultimately I would be here today without her. Unfortunately, she passed away a number of years ago. So I wish I could give her a specific shout out she'd hear, but I'll never forget how kind she was. And for me, that's the benchmark of the type of person that I want to be.
0: That's a great story. Certainly, uh, her legacy lives on with your actions. So thanks for sharing that. Uh, before we end up today, you know, I'm always curious about you know, what you might have changed in your career? Are there things that you would point out and say, if I was doing this again, I would focus on this?
1: You know, it's it's funny. I, I'm really happy with where things have developed. In other words, I think I'm in the exact right spot doing the work that I really love. But for me, an overarching lesson, it's not really a lesson of what I would have done differently, but I'm grateful that I have done and I would impart Uh, the same advice to everyone else, especially earlier in your career. I made it a habit to say yes. And I think, you know, there's some healthy boundaries that people need to set. And I'm not suggesting that people need to ignore those boundaries, but I got opportunities that made me grow immensely because of my willingness to say yes. One example is you mentioned that I was based in Africa for GE for about 10 months. I know I was not the first person that was asked. (laughs) (laughs) I know I was not the first person who was asked. In fact, I had some other colleagues tell me that they were asked and they said no. It was unknown. It was a little scary because we didn't really know much about what was going on but I said yes. And I'm grateful every day that I said yes. And I'm grateful that my wife supported me in saying yes too. And, you know, it's not to say that you have to say yes to everything, but get in the habit of saying yes and having a possibilities mindset, especially early in your career, because that opens up doors. And I'm so grateful that I was able to say yes uh, to an experience that really truly was once in a lifetime. And you never know what's going to come. And if you develop this reputation of someone who says no, you may not even get the opportunity to say yes.
0: Yes, I'm grateful for you. Uh, thank you for you know, spending time with us. Really amazing opportunity to get to know you better. Nathan, uh, so much here to learn.
1: Likewise. Thanks so much for the time, Jesse. Yeah.
0: You. I hope you enjoyed the previous discussion. If you are interested in learning more about Startup Experts and potentially becoming a member, please visit www.startupexperts.us. The community was created over five years ago for finance, ops, and HR leaders to meet, share knowledge, and support one another. Since we all work cross-functionally together in-house at our respective companies, we believe that it's incredibly valuable to have a community where we can also learn each other's perspectives. This podcast, Becoming Better with Startup Experts, will, in part, explore these roles and how we can effectively work together. I hope you will subscribe.